This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast show with myself, Adam Strong, and um you know, it's really interesting because we're now coming up to 260 shows, 260 episodes. And I'm kind of looking back at that and I'm thinking to myself, do you know what? It's been an absolute journey, you know, just listening into some of the stories and just some of the value bombs. I use this actually as my kind of like dose of education because I learn as much as you guys that are listening in. Um, and there's just so many great lessons to learn. Um, learning from uh, from like our guest today, actually. So um, um, our guest today, um, actually, his name is uh, Roderick Lenhart. And we actually just recently connected. And it was really interesting because um, I found his story really fascinating, but also his purpose in life is also something which really kind of like uplifts me, but it kind of fulfills me as well because it's because it, it kind of, reminds me of something that effectively like where we want to go and a lot of us never achieve what Roderick is is already living right so who is Roderick uh let's give you a little bit of a snapshot he has two decades in building multiple seven-figure businesses uh he's he talked we're going to be talking about um, what his time in working in the trenches, because effectively, you know, when you're growing a business, right, you're working in the trenches, you're getting yourself dirty, you're getting your hands dirty, and you're getting yourself uh, stuck in. Uh, Rodericks is also uh, an author of the uh, book, uh, Million Dollar Flip Flops, um, which we're, again, we're going to talk about that because I think it's just so thought provoking in that. Um, he's, a, he's a TEDx speaker, he's a philanthropist, he's a serial entrepreneur. Um, Interestingly enough, he's built seven-figure businesses, but he's also lost seven-figure businesses, okay? He's walked away from seven-figure businesses, um, and he's also uh, been in positions where, effectively, he's lost everything and built it back up again, all right? So we're going to be talking about that kind of like journey to, uh, I suppose, journey of austerity, and um, because, again, it's kind of like perseverance and resilience, all that kind of stuff. You know, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about Roderick's um, first, taste of, first taste of entrepreneurship, which is similar to myself. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. The context to what Million Dollar Flip Flop is, because, again, we we actually spoke about this all, offline uh, and uh, talked about my good friend Ash Lawrence and uh, Flip Flop Psycho, which is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> hi, Ash. Um, the other thing we're going to talk a little bit about as well. Um, I'm going to go deep with um, Roderick in terms of like, I'm going to be tapping into his emotional state, uh, his decision making, why he made certain decisions at certain points in time within his career, his entrepreneurial career. I want to talk a little bit about why he shut his business down, what made him miserable, why he did certain things. I'm going to, I'm basically going to basically interrogate the guy and hopefully he'll come out the other end um, completely human again. We'll, we'll see about that. Anyway, um, so for you guys that are listening in live, use the hashtag live, use the hashtag replay. If you're listening to this on the podcast, congratulations. 
make sure you check out all the show description notes below and make sure you check out Roderick's website because he has an amazing purpose, by the way, okay, uh, which, again, we're going to be talking a little bit about that and some context around that. So, um, anyway, enough babbling on. Roderick, welcome to the show. Thanks, buddy. Glad to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Lovely. Uh, great to have you here and, and that kind of stuff. And, uh, I mean, you, you've got a, you've got a fascinating story. I have to admit, you know, um, but actually before we kind of like jump into it, you know, from the time, I mean, you, you, you started up in a similar position to you. I remember listening to your story around one of your first entrepreneurial, um, I suppose, entrepreneurial uh, insights or kind of taste of entrepreneurship, which is golf balls. We have a similar golf ball story, right? <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. When I listened to it, I was like, oh, shit. Is this, is, this like, is this like another brother from another mother? I don't know, but it's kind of like. Same haircut, kind of like, right? So, yeah. Exactly, right? It's the same haircut. It's kind of like, I don't know what's going on here, but there was a twin out there. So I, I think I found you. Um, anyway, but listen, um, fascinating story. Really looking forward to today's conversation. Um, I want to kind of jump in and kind of talk a little bit about million dollar flip flop. Like, I'd like to get some context around that. Like, it's very thought provoking. Yeah, I know it's the name of your book and stuff. But and and I love the fact that um, every time you go into a, a business meeting, you're always wearing flip flops rather than kind of formal shoes type of thing. But give us some context around million dollar flip flop. Like, where did it kind of like stem from? And why is it kind of like fruit in, fruit in, fruit? Like, did you get named that or did you name yourself million dollar flip flop guy? Um, I will. Do you want the news story or the actual story? <laughs> <laughs> well, we can, we can have both and then we can kind of compare stories and see if there's actually yeah. any truth in it. So what, what million dollar flip flops came to mean was a, it's my footwear of choice. I don't wear what I call foot prisons ever. You know, I, I build hot rods in my spare time. I built houses for a long time, always flip-flops. I was just seven weeks in Europe, didn't even take another pair of shoes. You know, it was just flip-flops. And I had important meetings in Paris and London and all these things that it's suit coat and flip-flops. But um, it really came to mean change. You know, the ability to recognize change, implement change, even when it's tremendously difficult and everything inside of you is telling you, you this is going to be hard. That ultimately is what has been my superpower and what led to my success. So that's mm. what the name represents. And I remember telling my coach what I was planning to name the company. And he's just like, that's a stupid name. And I go, well, what's, <laughs> what's Bing? What's Google? What's Uber? What's, you know, none of these things matter. You know, it's just whatever meaning you give to it. So sure. the uh, kind of the origin story of that is neat um, in that I sold my last business, which was a real estate firm in Charlotte, North Carolina. And that was, I don't know, 14, 15 months ago now. And I took six-ish months off. I went around the world for the second time. This time I went east. First time I did it, I went west. And I was on a beach in Thailand shortly after New Year's. And I, I look over at Nicole and I'm like, we got to give it all away. And she's she has no idea what's happening. She's drinking a mango smoothie, doing some pleasure reading. And meanwhile, I've been <laughs> brewing like all entrepreneurs do. I've been brewing this thing up in my head for six months while I was, quote, semi-retired. So I was reading Mike Kim's book, You Are the Brand. That was my my pleasure reading of the day. I am a nonfiction nerd like most entrepreneurs are. <laughs> and uh, the exercise in there was you know, look at your immediate vicinity and pick one thing that represents who you are. It mm -hmm. was flip-flops. And 
That's it. It came from there. You know, everybody wants flip flops. It means they're on vacation. Everybody wants give or take a million bucks. So, you know, uh, I guess you must have sustained a few uh, blisters if you kind of went around with uh, flip flops all the time. I mean, listen, you wouldn't wear flip flops in Europe during the winter time, not unless you're absolutely crazy. But I guess it was summertime, right? Uh, I have absolutely been in Europe in the flip flops in the winter. Oh my god! <laughs> Damn, that was <laughs> you, you get all the looks, man. It's a great conversation starter. You walk into a restaurant, the owner goes, "What are you doing?" You hand them your little card. You know, it's it's easy. <laughs> I mean, interestingly enough, because you said uh, I want to pick up something that you just said, right? You had business meetings, right? And I guess there would be really important business meetings, whatever it is you know, business deals, collaborations, that kind of stuff. What sort of like impression or first impression do you get from, you know, the individuals that you're having a meeting with? Like, do people see you in a different context? Because it's kind of like, I don't know about you, but when I kind of like got into entrepreneurship and stuff, I ha- heard the story of, well, in fact, I want to quick, quickly share a quick story with you, Rodrick, right? So I was in a business meeting, okay? And this was going back quite a few years. And it was an important meeting. We were going to do, um, I was potentially taking on a new client. Anyway, come long story short, it worked out that I thought we were a good fit, but we didn't work together. And then I decided six months later to go back to the guy. And I was like, hey, so just out of respect, just want to know, why didn't we do anything? And he was like, it was because your shoes were not shiny. Went, what? what, the WTF? Because you shoot, yeah, they were scuffed and they were, um, you know, I'm like, you know, why would I do business with someone that has got scuffed shoes and they don't look after themselves? And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. So it kind of like stuck in my like subconscious for kind of some time. But then you're walking around in flip flops. and I'm like, okay, dude, like, am I missing a trick here? Like you're wearing flip flops and I'm wearing formal shoes. Yeah, you're doing deals and I'm not. So am I missing something here? Authenticity. Okay, interesting. Authenticity. And, and I'll tell you this last trip, I was, I was in Paris for Holt Prize. If you know what Holt Prize is, it's... Um, mm-hmm. So Eddie Holt, CEO of uh, EF Tours, who we partner with on the foundation side. I'd never met Eddie and that's a whole other story we can talk about is how I cold called EF and had this brilliant idea to start this foundation, but they invited me to Paris for Hall prize. So I'm walking around, there's maybe only 300 people there. We're at the Trianon. It was, you know, 196 teams from all over the world compete for a year for a million dollar prize to change the world. So it's a really mm-hmm. special event. It's the final six teams. It's kind of like shark tank. There's, you know, eight or nine judges up front and, but it's CEOs from all over the world, billion dollar companies and Miss Universe, you know, Arbany was there. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, it's just a, a really elite class of people. And I've got my flip flops on and my suit coat and my pink EF t-shirt. And, you know, my, my mom would tell you, my mom passed a couple of years ago, but she would say, I put on airs for no one. And I very much believe that the, the right people will be attracted to you when you are 100% your authentic self. And my guess is, Adam, that shiny shoe man wasn't your ideal client anyway true point true point that's a true point i mean we were going back quite a few years and stuff like that but that's an interesting context you know um yeah some 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 that, that's a, that's another that's another good lesson that i learned today anyway um good stuff like that um listen i know um you have built what 
probably built at least three, four companies, right? Two, three, four companies and, and you've built them and you've lost them and you close them down and things like that. But before you, before you kind of, um, what was going to say to you, I know kind of around the age of 25, you got yourself a J-O-B. Okay. Which is fine. You know, no, by the way, for you guys that are in a job, I'm not kind of, you know, hunting you down or whatever it is. We've got, we've got to have pay, pay our bills. Right. So first point in contact, because I mean, you start off entrepreneurship, very young age, right. You had the appetite. You obviously clearly had a lot of success at the age of 19, but my point is, why did you get yourself a job at the age of 25? Did you feel like, oh, I need to go try something else? Like, what was, what was, the, what was the rationale behind that? Because I know that there was a really compelling and interesting story around that. But again, you, you don't really share why you actually got into kind of, you know, getting yourself a job. Yeah. Um, you know, let me... I'll Quentin Tarantino this. So we'll start with the waves method, which is, you know, really what I teach, what's in the book. If you work with me one-on-one, you know, we'll actually, I don't know if you can see that, but you know, we'll do a triangle model of what your business looks like. And, but ultimately the waves method is the bottom of that. And it's, you know, it's your why it's authenticity, which we already talked about Mm -hmm. your values, exploring those two things and then ultimately building a statement of purpose. And that waves method came from that period of my life where I was 24, 25 years old. I was making, I always say I was making more in a month than my parents made in a year. You know, we grew up with nothing. I learned from a young age. That's why I was selling golf balls and selling candy at school and figuring out how to get a Nintendo and a bike and some sweet new Converse All-Stars, you know? So if I wanted it, I was going to have to hustle for it and started multiple ventures through high school and into college. That ranged from, you know, automotive performance parts. I was wholesaling cables and electronics worldwide and, you know, import export at a really young age. And I moved to Charleston, South Carolina, right right after university and left. I bought my first house when I was 22 and uh, which ultimately led into my career in real estate and construction. But um, I was walking through the neighborhood one day and there was a new home development. And I walked into the sales model and met this woman, Lane, who is still a great friend. And I saw her BMW out there and I saw that she was working about 35 hours a week and basically did nothing all day. And I said, man, this is, I want to be on this gravy train. How does this work? Right. So (laughs) I was still running. I had two businesses going at the same time. I ultimately, you know, lifetime in sales, you know, sell, you know, water to a whale. But so I excelled in that job. And it's a Fortune 100 builder. I've got stock options. I've got 401k. I'm out at the CEO's house in Santa Barbara, all the things. And I'm absolutely miserable. I'm anxious. I'm depressed and worse. And every day I woke up with that, is this all there is feeling? And I think Mm -hmm. that's something that people, I think everyone goes through that at some point in this lifetime. And I consider myself fortunate to have done it at a young age. Because it, it, I learned very quickly, money's not the answer. And mm. why did I do that? I was chasing the money. It, and if you look at right. my core values, money is not even in the top five. It's yeah. freedom and autonomy and community. And so in what earth did I think that I could sit in a model home, not talk to th- three, four people a week, be chained to a desk, 
not be able to make my own schedule. How did I ever, no amount of money was going to satisfy those top three values. Yeah. And I dug myself out of that hole by just going into every book I had ever read. I mean, I have 500 books sitting in this library right now. <laughs> and build, I needed to build a decision filter. That's all I wanted. I, you know, this seemed like a good idea to me when I made the decision, right? And we were talking before I think the show started about when you make decisions out of emotion and then you look back at them and you go, God, that was a terrible idea. So I wanted, I didn't want a pros and cons list. I didn't want to talk to my friends and family who typically aren't the best source of advice anyway. I just <laughs> needed my own thing. And that's what this was. That's what the Waves Method was. And I, we, I didn't call it that then. It was just my way of making decisions from hobbies to new jobs to shut down a business, start a business, expand a business, whatever it is. Mm. And Fast forward to multiple seven and eight figure businesses later, when I sold my last one, it didn't really have to do anything anymore. And I'd say, you know, just throw on the white Velcro New Balance, build some hot rods in the garage back here and go call it a life. <laughs> you know, that's why I wrote the book. I wrote, you know, you don't make money writing a book. We, we were no, number one bestseller in seven categories and it won't pay back 10% of what I put into the launch because that was never the idea. <laughs> You know, it was just this stuff can help a lot of people and it shouldn't just die inside of me someday, 40 years from now. That was the point. Yep. Love it. So what so basically what I'm getting off the back of that is that you kind of thought that the grass would be greener on the other side rather than being an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. But which you obviously discovered that it wasn't. Um <laughs> and quickly went back to entrepreneurship and, and never looked exactly. Back. <laughs> That's it. That's, 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 it's interesting. I, I, you know, I, I, again, uh, thanks for sharing that with me. That, that That's really interesting. Now, I know that um, when you did, uh, before you transitioned in uh, into back into entrepreneurship, I know that at that time, it was a dark place, wasn't it? What, how long was you in the job for? Uh, we were talking 12 months. Uh, no, it was three-ish years. Okay. So significant amount of time or whatever it yeah. might be. Um, like... I, how did it, I, I suppose from you, because I suppose you kind of figured out when you were miserable and suicidal and that kind of stuff. And you thought, okay, I want to go back into entrepreneurship because I feel like it, you know, could lead to a, a much better life. You know, how were you mentally and emotionally when it came to making decisions? How did you shift yourself out from someone that was very discouraged, very negative to a, to a place of like, I need to transform myself. Like, did you, you said that you read some books. What, what were some of the uh, lessons that you picked up from the books? What were kind of, what was the switch there for you? It really was diving deep into my values. And if you look at the waves method, the reason I put that authenticity piece second mm -hmm. is because if, if you go into exercises like your why and your core values and your statement of purpose with a mm -hmm. shiny shoes mentality, and not a scuffed <laughs> shoes mentality. You're building those systems for someone else. You're building them yeah. for shiny shoes, See, man. Right? <laughs> I'm gonna use that. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> oh, will know shit. why, but that's gonna be my. That's gonna be what I use. Oh shit! Oh my god. Um, but I really took time to discover what what do I really want, and I think I'll give you an example. If you come to work with me. Yep. You have to be six figures profitable. You have to understand the concept of enough. And we can talk, I've got my own like five mindsets of an entrepreneur and how we all go through that journey. We can talk about that, but I have yet to find a way and maybe you know a way, or maybe your audience knows a way 
that if someone thinks that more money is going to solve their problem, I can't help them yet. Because their their only answer is more money. Their only answer is growth. And I think you have to learn that lesson on your own. I don't know a way to teach it. Yeah, I, I agree on that, actually. Um, it, it's interesting because, I mean, I know that we, we're going to be talking about your purpose and why um, a little on into the show and stuff like that. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why uh, we, we're kind of very similar because, again, I'm, not, I'm certainly not driven by money you know similar to you i'm driven by purpose more than anything else but i guess it takes a little bit of time to learn what that purpose is you know and it's different for different individuals isn't it yeah absolutely and it, and i think you you come to find that when you really are pointed and on purpose and working with the people you love to work with doing the thing you love to do you know your magic mm-hmm. the money comes you can't help but have the money come and you know, people will listen to the show and go, well, it's easy for a couple of guys who are well off. Tell me to find my purpose and go do that. I got bills to pay and they're missing the point. And that's why enough. I can't teach that person <laughs> that lesson. No, absolutely. You know, you know, because I, you know, I can guarantee you that some of our listeners that are, are in entrepreneurship and maybe going through some of those tough times, because it's easy, isn't it, Roderick, you know, to just throw the towel in and think, screw it, I'm just going to go get a job right? Because I've got responsibilities, I've got kids to feed or whatever, it, whatever it is, I guess you have to do what you feel is best for you. Whether it is where if you believe the grass is greener on the other side, who knows, but clearly it wasn't you in your case. But I, I guess it's kind of a, a real lesson learned. Um, kind of uh, pivoting here. Um, when you take when you take clients on, for example, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the comfort zone kind of interesting, because again, we're talking about decision making here. Um, you kind of touched a little bit around um, a little bit about it earlier on, but what are some of the questions that you ask either people that want to work with you or maybe some of the questions that we could ask ourselves when it comes to trying to get out of that comfort zone? Okay, whatever that looks like, by the way, because it's different for different people and that kind of stuff, you know, because um, again, there are many things that holds us back, whether it be fear, whether it be whatever it is that holds us back. But I'd love to know what your when you sit down with a client, what are some of the, you know, thought provoking questions that kind of make it a little bit uncomfortable for the other individual that kind of hmm, didn't think about that. And maybe I've overlooked it. But uh, yeah, I'd love to know what your thoughts are. Yeah. I mean, typically, we'll touch on a little bit of the ways method. We're going to talk about your why we're going to talk about your values. And then your statement of purpose, I would say two to 3% of people that come through the door have a personal mission statement or a statement of purpose, but a hundred percent of their businesses do. Why? You know, especially as an entrepreneur, you know, if you don't know what you want and why you want it, you don't know if you're building a business that aligns with who you are and Mm. it's nobody's fault. You know, we're not better than anyone else. It's just that we're not taught to think that way about doing anything. You just you, you make the widget, you sell the widget, you sell as many widgets as you can, you're happy, right? That's, that's the model of success. And <laughs> you come to find out that that's not the way it is. And, you know, I, I think this is a good time to tell you, you know, when there's, there's five stages of entrepreneurship I've found for myself and that I see with all of my clients. And if I'm doing a triage call with somebody to see if they're a fit, these, I, I list these for them and they tell me where they are on the spectrum. And if they're not, right at number three or, or a high two going into number three, 
we're probably not a fit. It's a real easy way to, to figure it out. But it goes from believer to business Buddha. And the believer <laughs> is, and tell me if you recognize any of these people, Adam. Um, okay. The believer, I have this thing. Everybody's going to want it. I'm going to be a billionaire on a beach in a month. I just need to figure out how to get my thing in front of as many people as possible. That's the believer. Then there's the showman. Wow. I would have said that's the the delusional entrepreneur, but go ahead. (laughs) We're trying to be positive, Adam. We're trying to be positive. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. um, Apologies. (laughs) So (laughs) then it goes to the showman. Now the showman finds out people do want my thing. I've got the house and the SUV and I work 25 hours a day, eight days a week. And I could make my own schedule, but I don't because if I leave, the thing breaks and Mm -hmm. then nobody will buy my thing and I won't be successful anymore. And everybody tells me how great my thing is. Then you move into the anxious philosopher. This is my zone. This is the guy who lots of people want his thing. He's been around long enough and the thing is good enough that he can start to build a team. And he wakes up every morning saying, is this all there is? He's anxious. He doesn't know why. He has all of the Western versions of success. And he starts to feel isolated because I can't talk to my friend at the bar about how I have a million dollars in the bank and how sad I am. But it becomes a very lonely place to be because you don't know who to ask. And your friends and your family are no help. Your business associates are no help. You can't go to your subordinates about it. You feel alone. And then you move into what I call the peaceful warrior. And that's the person who's done this deep dive on the work. They know exactly what they want and why. They either restructure their business, shut down their business, move into corporate America, whatever that thing is. But they've identified who they are and what they want and why. That's what I love do. It. That's what the Waves Method does. That's what my six-week game it. plan does, all the things. And then eventually you move into business Buddha. And I never get there because I sell the company and I start all over again with the believer. <laughs> 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 so funny well i hope for you guys that are listening in i first i have a question for the listeners actually where are you on that spectrum okay remember there are four okay all right five. so you've got the rem- five sorry five <laughs> sorry five uh, uh even i wasn't listening i was listening uh but there are five okay so uh make sure that you go back re-listen in fact roderick just tell us really really quickly the five were the believer the showman the anxious philosopher, the peaceful warrior, and the business Buddha. And you checked out after peaceful warrior because we never get to business Buddha. So that's why you said four. <laughs> that's probably why I said four. <laughs> that's probably what it is. But we love fives anyway. All good. All good. Um, anyway, I was going to say to you, um, so leaving job and then going into growing your first seven-figure company, which was in construction in, was it South Carolina? Is that right? Uh, North Carolina, yeah. Charlotte. North Carolina, cool. And then. Um, but now let me give it to to me was that the the business that basically you shut down is that correct yeah that was a construction right yeah yeah what was i mean again because i mean (laughs) you know back from like being in a miserable place of having a job and then what what, i mean what was what was the reason why you shut it down again i want to get some context around this because you were in a job, you're miserable, you're suicidal, you go back into entrepreneurship, you're happy again, you're happy self, you grow a business, but then you shut it down for, I guess, you're unhappy again. It's kind of like deja vu, you know, (laughs) self-sabotage or whatever it is. What was the reason why you shut it down? 
there were multiple things I did wrong in the building of that business. It was, it was successful. I mean, we went from my first year, we did $50,000 by year three, we were doing $50,000 every couple of days. And I built it thinking incorrectly that if I got it big enough, I could start to step away. And where I found myself was, and here's where it's multifaceted in that I just really didn't enjoy the work anymore. And it's one of those things. I love building houses. I love building my own stuff. I still do a ton of woodworking and cabinetry and it's my jam. It's what I, it's my flow state, but not all of your hobbies should become businesses. Right. And that's tough as an entrepreneur <laughs> because you see businesses everywhere. And so that was one facet of it that I would say was probably half of it. I just didn't enjoy the work anymore. And I could have built it into more of a brand where it was saleable. But it was very much people were buying me. And as you know, when when you are the thing people are buying, it's really hard to sell. Mm-hmm. And it was easier. I looked at five years of turning this thing around to make it something smaller that I enjoyed again, or five years of scaling it up to where somebody's going to buy me out. And it just, neither one of those sounded like where I wanted to spend five years of my life. So we did our last projects. They were great. I still am friends with all the homeowners that we built custom homes for. And we did some really cool projects in Charlotte. But ultimately, that's when I had been a realtor on top of that because I was buying and selling all my own stuff every year um, and have my own rentals, et cetera. But that's when I decided to start the real estate firm with the intention of selling it. So it was built in a completely different fashion. And I learned from all the mistakes of business. We'll call it business one because that's really the first one that was that was that big, you know, where I was where I was pushing eight figures. So mm. um, and that's what we did with the second business, managed it through COVID, which was its own set of of challenges. Um, because my bread and butter was live events and you know, just getting in front of people and telling them what we do. And we did short-term rentals. So, you know, Airbnb, VRBO, we were one of the first uh, full-scale management companies in Charlotte. Oh, nice. And I knew, I knew I didn't want to do it forever, and so I built it with that purpose and built the team very differently, built the branding very differently. It was never about me. It might have been my contacts and some of my resources, but it was never about me. And so um, it sold quickly, and that's what put me into, you know, I don't know, 14, 15 months ago. And... I went to Brown, got my ICF for for coaching because I knew I wanted to help other people. Was planning to only work with six people at a time. I still only work with six one-on-one clients at a time. And then it quickly turned into this monster thing with the book. And I'm in Austin Kino speaking next week and you know, all the things that go along with it. And I will I will tell the listeners this. You know, I I knew my why, why I wanted to do this business. And I didn't know any of the hows. And I always say with a big enough why, any how is possible. And I just keep walking through open doors. And I couldn't tell you what 12 months from now is going to look like. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it, love it. Um, I want to kind of backtrack really, really quickly because you, you, you talked about when you sold your uh, the second business and whatever it is, when you decided... I don't know what the kind of time scale was between closing the first one down to opening the second one down was, but <clears throat> was there anything that you identified 
from business one when you closed it down that you thought, do you know what? I am not going to put those things in place into business two. And these are the reasons why not. I think the biggest lesson was just the owner. And you see this a lot, I'm sure, in consulting. The the owner being the bottleneck. I never wanted to be the bottleneck on any decisions. That was, that was hands down the biggest lesson I learned from number one. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah, I suppose. But then I guess it's kind of like this. Um, what's going to say to you? It's kind of like this that then this debate going on then with regards to, okay, well, yes, you need personal branding. Okay. So you need personal branding for, you know, people buy you, right? They, they buy you as, as you had identified. But then in a way, it was your downfall because people were buying you and nothing else. And so you then felt trapped within the business. So you felt as if you couldn't exit from that business, which kind of makes sense. So then are you saying, that should people build their brands, their own personal brands, or do they do it a different method? Because I guess I guess I could probably ask this question to a million different experts and everyone would have a different answer, I guess. What's your take on that? I think everyone should have a different answer. And I think that's, <laughs> that's exactly, it's exactly what the Waves Method does, right? Everybody wants a different outcome. There's there's people that just want to be a lifestyle entrepreneur and they don't, it's not about any of this. And they're happy, you know, doing 300,000 a year and they've, they've got a hundred grand to take home to their family and they're going to do that for the next 30 years. And they're happy as pigs and, you know, stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. you know, but it's, but it's identifying what, what do you want? You know, I think for me, I want to make a bigger impact on the other side of the equation with the foundation and some of the other work we're doing. Mm -hmm. So I want this thing to be bigger. It needs to be more prolific in order to impact, you know, more kids on the other side. Love that. And we'll talk about that in a second. But um, I, they're saying that uh, it kind of um, came to my mind, actually, because you talk a little bit about in your, uh, in your book, actually, which is talking about the happiness intersection. I'd love to know what that means to you. But also, how does that kind of, how is that applicable to, success you know because success is very different from for different people it means different things to different people what is the happiness intersection and and how is it kind of um applicable to success i consider the happiness intersection kind of phase two of what we do so mm. through the waves method through the book any way you come into my world the first thing is figuring out what does adam want right. and now we're going to build a business that serves that so we're either going to turn your business around, we're going to start a new business, we're going to whatever the thing is, the next right step is, we don't know that until we know what you want as a person. And then once we build a business that feeds your soul, and does what you want it to do for the community at large, that's the happiness intersection. And both of those things need to be working in a very, a very tight knit unit for the true definition of success to be able to come out. But I guess you've got to. Um us as individuals we've got to learn to identify you 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 highlight a few things purpose values understanding your why and you know and how to articulate that you you talked a little bit about that and i suppose it's kind of like this is going back to like with you when you had your second company your happiness intersection was doing something that you loved doing at the time right is that correct yeah very cool 
right? Yeah, for sure. And I'm building this business in that way. You know, you're not only am I teaching how to do this, I'm building my business in, Mm. in the form of that. So you can walk the talk, right? Like I'm, I'm doing both things at the Mm. same time. I'm saying, telling, Hey, this might be what will work for you. And now watch it work for me because I've learned all these lessons from the last few businesses. Absolutely. Um, Talk us a little bit about the foundation, because I know that we haven't really spoken about it, but that is one of your big whys now, isn't it? You you know, you talk a little bit about the fact that, um, you know, the contributions and the proceeds of the book goes into the foundation. You have this big mission of sending a million kids around the world, you know, you know, kind of deserving kids, you know, to different countries, experience culture or whatever it might be. But tell us a little bit about, you know, the context around that. I know that you grew up in Michigan. Was it because that you came from not so humble beginnings and it was tough in life? Like, where did that, where did that stem from? Why, where, where did you discover that purpose and why do you do it? Yeah. So, you know, hundred percent of the profits of everything we do other than my one-on-one coaching, again, I work with mm-hmm. six people at a time, but if you come do the book or, you know, do the course or you buy the journal or any of the other stuff that we do. 100% of that is donated to Send a Student Leader Abroad, which is our foundation. And we're partnered with EF Tours. They are the facilitator. And if you're familiar with EF, think they do a lot of different programs and a lot of different things, but think middle schooler that goes to Europe on their summer break to learn about the world. That's the easiest way for me to describe. Nice. <laughs> and, you know, I was that middle schooler. And I remember my parents arguing specifically my mom telling my dad that I needed to go and we did not have the money to go. And ultimately I went on that trip and it changed my worldview. It changed what I saw as possible in the world. And it very much emphasized the know them only us. You know, when you, if you never leave your hometown or you never leave, certainly in the United States, you don't, we're always taught, and this, this is a huge tangent, but it, all of our histories are the history of who we're taught to hate. You know, we got to hate the French. Now we got to hate the English. Now we got to hate Spanish. Now we got to hate the Russians. Now, and if you if you ask everybody in a room, do you know any of these people? The answer is always no. It's just who <laughs> who we're supposed to hate this week. You know, and until you travel, I mean, I've been to sixty countries on six continents now, and we're all the same, one human family. We are all the same, and I think you learn a lot of empathy and compassion and things that you can't learn in your hometown on a trip like that. And you know. Our foundation's goal is, you know, imagine you're at a school, you're that kid who probably can't afford it. And then you find out that there's a grant available and you can apply, you work with us. I coach the kids or one of our partner coaches coaches the kids on how to hustle, how to sell some candy bars, how to make the money to go on this trip. It's not just a freebie, but ultimately we'll pay for the whole trip for them to go. And there are kids that they have to apply, they have to do a little video, they have to show grit, they have to show determination, they have to show hustle. But, you know, imagine they go on this trip, they have this experience, and now they're going back and telling a community that is not having those conversations about their trip. So it is a very much an exponential kind of ripple effect that we're hoping for. And, you know, my goal is to send a million kids in my lifetime. So that is, that's very much my why. Very cool. Wait, how many kids you uh, have, have you started off with? Next, so we meet with EF in Austin on Tuesday, and we'll start sending our first kids in spring and summer. And I have absolutely no idea how many we're going to get to send next year. So it's it's all 
in in the works as we speak and it's Love it's that. so much fun to watch happen yeah it's a great it's a great legacy project as well um i'm, I'm, I'm big into legacy and and things like that so uh yeah, congratulations on that uh, i Thank just you. want to say Thank that that was it's a lot of fun it's a really it is a lot of fun definitely and it, it's a lot of i can't even call it self-satisfaction it just doesn't do it injustice i suppose it's kind of like you know it, it, it kind of what's the word i'm looking for uh, floats your boat it's again it's it, you know what i mean it, it, i get what you're saying though. i understand yeah very cool you so, know it's um i just want to say one more thing like it's it goes back to that why and that statement of purpose and it's we all have those days and weeks and months when we don't want to do the thing we don't want to make the video we don't want to get on the podcast we don't want to whatever the thing is that you have to do but then you think about but i get to send all these kids mm. you know that's that's what a big why is about so um, final question, actually, before we uh, wrap up today, um, I want to kind of, again, maybe for some of the listeners here that have built a business, right? And they're living what you did, right? Which they might not be very happy um, or they might have a very successful, they may deem as a very successful business, if you like, right? But deep down, they're generally not happy or they've lost their passion because you you clearly lost your passion in one of your companies and stuff like that. Um, and they're destined for success or whatever success looks like to them, but they're destined to do something else in life. Maybe they haven't yet discovered or haven't had the time to kind of find that clarity around them. Um, what advice would you give to those people that are in that place of maybe discouragement or a place where they're terribly unhappy and they're kind of in between two worlds, you know, kind of like, well, I've got responsibilities or they may have some fear, you know, there's an abundance of different, I suppose, excuses, if you want to call it. What's your yeah. advice to those people? My, my gut tells me to tell you to go to milliondollarflipflops.com. But what I'm, <laughs> what I'm going, what I'm, as the consummate salesman, but what, what I'm going to tell you is it's how I start my book. It's a Leo, Leo Tolstoy book called The Death of Ivan Illich. And Ivan is on his deathbed and he looks up at his wife and he says, what if my whole life was wrong? That should be terrifying. And that should get you to figure out what it is you really want to do in the short amount of time we're here. Interesting. I love that. So, isn't that a great way to wrap up the show, ladies and gents? And um, it kind of also reminds me of... Um, uh, actually, I had an epiphany when you were speaking. Who wants to be the lonely millionaire that has the mansion that has all these rooms that are empty because their wife and kids have like left them and they're still doing the same thing, trying to figure out their thing and whatever. It's the same kind of thing, but it's just a different scenario. Anyway, I'm babbling on. So Roderick, just want to say thank you so much. It's been a great show, by the way. Thank you, Adam. This is a lot of fun. Absolutely. Listen, guys, I hope that you have enjoyed today's value bombs and, um, you know, thoughtful lessons with uh, me and Roderick. I think there's just a lot of great um, context to our conversation. There's a lot of great juiciness that you can learn from today's show. Um, so make sure that you go back, re-listen to this, because I always find out about you. Um, but when you read a, 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 read a book again or re-listen to a podcast, you generally pick up new things from what you didn't hear before, right? Because again, you don't really absorb everything at the same time, do you? It's, it, you know, it's probably the same for you. Do you find that, Roderick? 
Yeah. The, the analogy I always use is, you know, if I go to any city in Europe, I go to Rome and I'm 20 and I go back when I'm 50, Rome is largely the same, but I see it through a completely different lens. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great, that's a great, that's a great context. Love that. So guys, listen, I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Um, please do me a favor, head over to Apple right now. And if you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a one or a five star review over on Apple. I have a big objective, by the way, is to get a hundred over a hundred reviews. Doesn't matter where you are in the world, if you're listening to it in North America, Dubai, Australia, we don't really care. The reviews are always great because without reviews, uh, then guess what? We're just not going to know how to articulate and create an amazing show for you. So um, feedback is absolutely crucially important. And we just want to say thank you so much for listening in uh, from me and Roderick. And uh, hopefully we'll see you again here on the podcast. So uh, take care and we'll see you soon. Cheers now. Bye-bye.